Welcome to Buckaroo Holiday. I'm Sport, and this is a special commission. Let me explain that sort of confusing intro. Uh, our topic today is record labels. This theme and this commission are brought to you by my friend Gilligan, who for many years has been running a label called Fake Chapter. And I really admire Gilligan. He's been uh, doing this thing. I met him around the turn of the century. 
Now, back in those days, um, to just fill in the new youngsters, people would come from all over the world to New York City to celebrate independent music. The children would sing in the streets, and there was bunting everywhere and ticker tape parades, gladness in every heart. And you would meet wonderful people like uh, Gerard Kosloy and Kramer. Oh, it was fantastic. So there I am, you know, uh, standing on the street corner smoking a cigarette and uh, this Model T Ford pulls up and here's Gilligan and he says, hey, sport. We became friends. So I came to admire Gilligan and his label and the way he ran his label and he's been doing it well because it's still going. Uh, this is 25 years he's been doing Fake Chapter and that's what this whole thing is. He's celebrating the label's 25th year with a Kickstarter funded double CD. And it's a modest Kickstarter. I mean, he's uh, not trying to do some highfalutin thing, you know. He just wants to celebrate his musicians and his label and the effort that he's put in and the success that he's had. And he commissioned this show as a reward to his contributors, his backers on the Kickstarter. So I'd like to welcome them. If anybody's never heard Buckaroo Holiday before, I hope you enjoy this one and look into the archive and listen back to some of this other stuff we've done. And for those of you who are regular Buckaroo Holiday listeners, I recommend you take a look at his Kickstarter. It's called Fake Chapter Records, the first 25 years, if you look it up on the Kickstarter site. And the campaign is active through November 11th. If you want to hear the music that's on the double album, you can pledge $2, all right? If you pledge $2 or more, you'll get a streaming link to the full album. And if you pledge $25 or more, You'll get the uh, special double CD, hard copy. And you'd be supporting a great guy who supports a lot of great artists. So Gilligan's idea with this show was to celebrate record labels as, as a thing. Label, label, label. And we're going to do that. We're going to go through a bunch of different record labels that I personally dig with a little bit of background about each one of them and why I like them. Uh, I'm not going to do a lot of long spieling today because that's not what this one's about. In preparing the show, I came up with way too much stuff. I know that already. I'm not going to be able to get to everything. So I'm going to yap less and play more. And with that, let me introduce you to Fake Chapter itself and some of the artists on the label. First up is Mary Lee Ruin with her song The High Wire, title track from a recent album. The album is gorgeously recorded, some great songwriting, very nice stuff. And so is We'll Be Fine by The Bright Road from Canada. So I also get to sneak in my certified Canadian content on that one. Howdy, Ron. And we'll complete the set with a number from our friend Miles Hunt from his album Not An Exit, a killer solo album from around 2007. And uh, my brilliant friend Andres plays on that one with him. A number called You and I. So welcome, one and all, to Buckaroo Holiday and our fake chapter 25th anniversary All Labels special. Take it, Mary Lee. Big top band 
Yeah, Miles Hunt. That's a little sampling of what you can hear on Fake Chapter Records. There's a whole lot of other really cool stuff in their catalog. Any kind of memorable record label usually has a sort of an identity. Fake Chapter, I think, is really a songwriter label. I think Gilligan is really drawn towards great songwriting, and a lot of his artists reflect that. 
Other ones might be, oh, dance music or avant-garde or, you know, whatever. And when I was a teenager, a label that really caught my attention was Berserkly Records, run by a real certifiable lunatic named Matthew King Kaufman. Berserkly was pioneering in a lot of ways. The first thing that grabbed me was their graphic design approach. It was a throwback thing, kind of a 50s-ish design, which was uncommon then. And the idea of an independent label, putting out 45s, singles, just wasn't done at the time. There were, there, were, there were no indie labels other than a few real oddball outfits like Ralph putting out the Residence records. But Berserkly, I think, was very influential on the first wave of particularly UK punk labels. And musically, I think uh, they specialized in what later became called power pop. The big find for me was Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers became a huge fan, but they had some other good acts. Greg Kinn, who went on to later success in the 80s, and Rubenus, who I saw open for Jonathan. And uh, we're gonna hear them first here with a number called Rock and Roll is Dead. And then we'll hear Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers, but you won't hear him sing. Just, you know, everybody knows what Jonathan sounds like. We love him. But uh, this is from Rock and Roll with the Modern Lovers. It's a Chinese folk song, Kwa Ti Feng, The Sweeping Wind. And though you are denied Jonathan's dulcet tones on this instrumental number, you'll hear him at the very end of the Greg Kin number, All the Right Reasons, which comes after that. And I first heard on the Berserkly compilation, Home of the Hits. That was a great compilation that really drew me into the Berserkly thing, and you might feel the same way when you hear the fake chapter compilation. You never know. Anyway, here's the Ruben News. Turn it down.
Couldn't miss Jonathan in there going, oh, no, 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 etc. right? That's our man. And uh, did you notice the weird thing at the beginning of the Rubenews record, the strange pan of the guitars over to one side before the song really kicked in? Strange shit. And uh, another note, by the way, uh, the sweeping wind from the Rock and Roll with the Modern Lovers album, that record was recorded in a bathroom. Jonathan insisted on it, and they just dragged some mics in there, set the band up, and went for the album great record. So next I want to touch on a label called Cadet Concept. I've talked about them before. Chess Records wanted to have a side label that would concentrate on unusual acts, psychedelic acts, trippy, kind of jazzy, soulful rock acts. And though the label didn't last too long, they put out a lot of great records. And though I haven't played these two tracks before, I have played these bands before. First one is Archie Whitewater, did one album, and what we're going to play is an unreleased track from that era. Second one is Rotary Connection, Minnie Ripperton's original band, 
And given that it's only two songs, maybe I'll go directly into another label right out of these two without any spiel. See, I don't know. I might. I might come back and talk. I might not. <laughs> Hang on to your seats. We'll soon see. Here's Archie Whitewater.
Gotham City sleeps, Batman's grandmother is being kidnapped by the arch-criminal known as... The Green Beret. Commissioner Gordon dials the secret number of the Batcave. Holy smoke, Batman, they got your grandmother. <laughs> Quick, Robin, to the Batmobile. Great Scott, Batman. Something's heading right for us. Here it comes. Holy cow, Batman. I've wrecked the Batmobile. Come here, baby. Scratch my back. No time for that now, Robin. Look, Batman, it's the Green Beret and Grandmother. <laughs> I'll save her, Robin. Gee whiz, Batman, what happened? Bang, bang, shut down. Is this the end of Batman? Stay tuned to this record. So far, Batman's grandmother has been kidnapped. Batman has been shot. Robin has had his 19th nervous breakdown. But the best is yet to come. Batman, Batman, speak to me. Baby, I can't make it without you. Jumping Jupiter, Batman. Grandmother is kissing the Green Beret. Batman, Batman, where are you going? To the Batroom, Robin. Well, how was it, Batman? It was exciting, exciting. Holy mackerel, Batman. The Green Beret has fallen through that trap door into his own alligator pit. He's a real nowhere man. Once again, Batman and Robin have foiled another arch criminal. Back at the Batcave... Batman, look at this telegram. Grandmother has been drafted. Natural wonder makeup makes your skin look perfect, even when it isn't. And it comes in ten terrific shades. I like the compact makeup. I go for natural wonder in the tube. I love the liquid makeup. And you know, all natural wonder makeup is medicated. I'm gonna hide if she don't leave me alone. I'm gonna run away. Don't. Cause you can
who else and that's called rad they were representing redbird records which i've discussed on the show before redbird was the source of some of the most magical girl group records along with mary and the girls there were the jelly beans the dixie cups evie sands just amazing stuff i hated it when i was a little tiny tot and my brother forced it on my ears but man i love it now the label was run by Brill Building O'Tours, Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller, along with George Goldner, who was one of those music biz hard asses. Worked with Morris Levy a lot. Anyway, yeah, that miraculously unfunny Dickie Goodman break-in record there, Batman and His Grandmother, that was a Redbird release. So now you know why I snuck these in after the Cadet Concept songs, because, uh, look, honestly, if you knew there was a Dickie Goodman break-in record coming, would you have continued listening? Come on, man. Now, sometimes I'm forced to make executive decisions for your own good. This is, uh, you know, this is history here. I'm giving you history. Come on. And the same might apply to the following. Um, you know, along with the incessant playing of Red Bird 45s, my brother's other interests had a big influence on, uh, what do you call it, my, my formative aesthetic germinatory uptake, as they say. Well, they, they might say. You know how they are. Anyway, the uh, East Village Other. It was a counter-cultural newspaper that profoundly influenced my uh, visual sense. You know, it had this DIY, amateur, everything-goes graphic style. You'd have some Aubrey Beardsley here, something here that looked like bathroom scrawl. You know, a lot of clip art and psychedelic brilliance, the genius of our crumb, all of it like kind of cluttered and glued together in an apparent hyper daze. 
really grubby and exciting and full of possibilities and sort of illicit feeling, you know. And I loved it, loved it. Of course, the articles and the ideology of it had a different kind of an impact on me. But uh, we're not going to talk about that today. But anyway, the East Village Other did a sonic edition of their newspaper on a record label called ESP Disc. And this label was also based in Lower Manhattan, and it was also run by wild-eyed radical entrepreneurs. And the stuff they put out was pretty crazed, and it had the same thrown-together effect as the East Village Other. So that East Village Other sonic edition was included, parts of it were included, on an ESP disc compilation LP, which also included a lot of their acts that uh, really struck me, had an impact on me. Um, the Gods, Pearls Before Swine, The Fugs, Albert Egler, um, a lot of a lot of people that I didn't know what to make of then and came back to. The album was a real object of fascination for me for a number of years. And I think the best way to convey that experience and ESP Disc itself as a label is to recreate that experience in miniature. So I want to do a kind of a collage of the sampler. The sampler was actually excerpted pieces from things on the label. And I'm going to further excerpt them to a short medley here now. For those of you who don't listen to Buckaroo Holiday normally, this is where it gets weird. But stick with it, it'll come back to something more accessible. Those of you who are more adventurous, you'll maybe dig this. Those of you who uh, are annoyed by it, hang in there. I'm not going to give you any names of performers yet because I don't know what I'm doing yet. I'm going to do it right now. So let's go on a little tour of another time, another world, the Lower East Side in the late 60s. All man hates you. They'd rather die by car crash, lightning, drowning, falling off a roof, electric chair, heart attack, old age, old age, old bomb. They'd rather die by anything but you. Cell by cell through bodies and mind screens of the earth. 
Souls rotten from the orgasm drug, flesh shuddering from the ovens, prisoners of the earth, come out, storm the studio. Burnt metal smell of interplanetary war in the raw moon streets, swept by seeing glass lizards of enemy flash. I know, right? Yeah, well, that's what I grew up with. That's why I've never been surprised by the things that people entertain themselves with or um, creatively get involved with, you know? Nothing's new, man, you know? And uh, neither is uh, a lot of the ideologies behind this stuff, but try to tell some people that, yeah, you don't know. You know, they, they think they fucking invented it, you know what I'm saying? It would be interesting to compare that with the uh, folkways. Folkways was a much more long-lived and comprehensive label, and they were also New York City-based, kind of left-wing, but more um, traditional, liberal, you know, not radical. Maybe a montage of folkways stuff would be a worthwhile comparison. I may do that later on in the show. But just so as you know, uh, what you heard there was first, uh, I'm not sure if it was Gregory Corso or Lawrence Ferlinghetti, but you know, beatniks. Then it was the Fugs, and then Albert Ayler after that. Very interesting guy, and an interesting musician, really worth looking into. Then it was an excerpt from a theater piece called The Coach with Six Insides. A little bit of William Burroughs doing what he did. The Gods pretending to be cats and dogs fighting. Little Taste of Pearls Before Swine from their first album. Movement Soul, sort of Afrocentric radical shtick there. Uh, the ever-annoying Allen Ginsberg. And then a little bit of the New York Art Quartet. Side note on ESP, the reason why it was called the ESP disc is the ESP was for Esperanto. People who founded the label wanted to push the idea of the international language Esperanto. This uh, synthetic language that was supposed to replace all the different languages in the world and uh, bring us all together, you know, then we'll get, you know, world peace. As my tone might betray, I'm a little jaundiced about this stuff, but that doesn't mean I don't think it's worthwhile. There's a lot of really fantastic music on ESP Disc and a lot of worthwhile ideas, at least worthwhile to consider. Um, among the great musicians that I didn't sample at all there, you had Bud Powell, Paul Blay, um, real fascinating stuff despite my uh, snark. 
I consider myself lucky to have such early and in-depth exposure to that kind of music and that kind of thought. There's a lot to learn, both positive and negative, from a lot of points of view. And these days, everybody just wants to shout everybody else down, and it's a real shame. But enough of that. Let's get contemporary, shall we? Ghost Box Records is the home of a lot of great new electronic music and hauntology. I've talked about hauntology before. You know I love this stuff. And I'm going to play a couple of selections from Ghost Box releases. First, you're going to hear a track from the comeback album by Plone, a great electronic duo from Birmingham, England, a record called Puzzlewood. Then we're going to hit Beautify Junkyards from Portugal. They got some beautiful, beautiful stuff. This track will be called Cabeça Flor, I guess. Flowerhead? Is that what that means? I don't know. I, I, I don't speak Brazilian. Then I'll play a thing called Sundial from longtime Ghost Box favorites, The Advisory Circle. And, you know, we've, we've listened to Belberry Polly here and Hintermass. If any of this stuff grabs you at all, just go to the Ghost Box website and listen to samples of the acts they have on the label. I really like their shit. But anyway, without further ado, here's Plone.
So you think it's funny, do you? Putting such vulgarity on a Sun Records release. How dare you? That was a demo from 1965 by a band called The Four. You heard the title. 69. <laughs> Sun Records. 
That's what they were doing in the mid-60s. Most of what we're familiar with from Sun Records is from the late and mid-50s. Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, Roy Orbison, Charlie Rich, all being on that label. But they also recorded a lot of great blues acts and a lot of great country acts. And you heard Little Junior's Blue Flames there from 1953 doing Mystery Train, which was a breakthrough record for Elvis when he covered that particular version. But I wanted to touch on Sun because really that's where rock and roll begins. It's one of the places where rock and roll begins. And there's a couple of things you don't hear every day from Sun. Now, speaking of where rock and roll begins, let's check out a couple of places where rock and roll went. Very diametrically opposed in a way. I don't think so, because it's all music, but you know how people are. First, we're gonna talk about Prague. I'm not gonna play a lot of long Prague things, so calm down. But uh, a label called Harvest Records, as far as I know, I think it was named after the band Barclay James Harvest. And you don't hear them very much. They were considered the poor man's moody blues, which they wrote in a self-deprecating song, actually, by that title. And if you like Mellotrons, I'm looking at you, T-Fab. You might like Barclay James Harvest. I'm going to give you something by them. Now, you know me, you think I would go for Sid Barrett. That's the obvious thing, but I'm not. I'm not going to play Sid Barrett. I could play Kevin Ayers. That's something I might go to, but I'm not. There's a lot of choices. In those days, prog rock was pretty new, and there are a lot of varied artists on Harvest, all roughly in that category. Well, mostly roughly in that category. You had people like Edgar Broughton Band, who were more rock bands. But then there was The Move, who were a rock band that became a sort of prog band when they morphed into Electric Light Orchestra. Jeff Lynne, uh, Bev Bevan, and Roy Wood from The Move added some classical musicians, including uh, Miles Hunt's uncle, Bill, by the way, <laughs> and became Yellow. And from their first album, here's one of Roy Wood's most beautiful songs. It's called Whisper in the Night, and I'll follow it with the Barclay James Harvest song, The Iron Maiden. Two from Harvest. Oh 
circumstances slight are only helping her to fail. And though she feels she's right, she tries with all her might and makes the deepest peril pale. Chooses who to love, and then unlike a dove, 
Larry Wallace with Police Car from 1977 on Stiff Records. And that might seem really far afield from the Harvest stuff we played before that, but it isn't really. Larry Wallace had played in the Pink Fairies and was connected with all those weirdos, Steve Peregrine Took and all them people, and supposedly played on a session with Sid Barrett, who, of course, was a Harvest artist as well. So. You know, everything's connected. Even as, as much as the people who bought stiff records in the late 70s wanted to divorce themselves from the idea of progressive rock, the connections are deeper than people thought. Me, I loved stiff records. I used to buy them all the time. Every time a new one came out, I'd grab it. It was a lot of fun because there was a lot of humor involved, different slogans they would use on there. If it ain't stiff, it ain't worth the fuck. And even in the runoff grooves of the records, they would carve little messages in there into the plastic. And just some great songwriters and artists in there, Ian Dury and Elvis Costello and Niccolo. Very exciting when new Stiff records would come out. And one of those artists there was Reckless Eric, still performing. I think he's married to Amy Rigby now. He's on a record there called Reconne Sherry. I had the... Uh, 10-inch brown vinyl record of that, and I traded it many, many years ago to a guy I know who collects records, and he had a bunch of library albums, which at the time nobody wanted any part of. I had a long-time fascination for them, and when I offered him the Reckless Eric 10-inch for a stack of these, he couldn't believe his luck, because Reckless Eric was worth money, and these things were, you know, like a buck a box full. Nobody wanted these fucking things. Now DJ culture has made them very collectible, but but that was a good time to accumulate them. And as a fan of these records, I should note that these labels are also part of this show because we're using library music from DeWolf, KPM, Chapel, etc. So now I'm going to play some stuff from Nonesuch Records. Nonesuch was a division of Elektra. And they were usually more inexpensive records, and it was where they put a lot of their classical recordings and oddball stuff, including what then was called international music, and then later was changed to world music by those kind of people who think when you change the word for something, you change the nature of it and make yourself seem a lot hipper. And I'm sure they've moved on from world music to something else by now, but anyway. <laughs> I can't help myself. They had uh, Beaver and Krause doing the um, Nonesuch Guide to Electronic Music, two-record set of Moog synthesizer stuff. In later years, they moved into stuff that was maybe more uh, contemporary art-type stuff. They put out Brian Wilson stuff. They did um, Robin Holcomb, who we've heard on the show before, Bill Frizzell, etc. We'll hear a couple of things from the latter-day Nonesuch and one earlier thing. The earlier thing is a legendary album, the Mysterious Bulgarian Voices. This was originally released in the 70s and has become a kind of a perennial. There are a lot of people influenced by this music. It's uh, Bulgarian folk music that's been arranged for a modern choir, but the modern choir has this weird, creepy, uh, ancient sound. Pretty compelling. The song that I've chosen, Dancing Song, I chose because it has these little weird instrumental insertions that are, I think, really beautiful. After that, I'm going to play a... Charles Ives piece, any excuse for that. This was arranged by John Adams, the contemporary composer for an album he did called American Elegies. The song is called Down East and it's one of Ives' most evocative and accessible tunes, really beautiful. And then we're gonna go with a kind of a collaboration between two great American geniuses. 
Alan Toussaint and Thelonious Monk. It's Alan Toussaint doing Bright Mississippi by Thelonious Monk. They didn't actually collaborate. Toussaint did this many years after Monk's death, and it's an arrangement of a song that itself was based on, I think, Sweet Georgia Brown when Monk originally did it. But Toussaint gets that New Orleans thing into it, of course. But before we get to New Orleans, let's see what's going on in Bulgaria. Oh, 
Alan Toussaint, amazing performer, producer, songwriter, wonderful man. Now for this next label, I'm going to play four songs, count them, four songs. It's the Numero Group, and the reason why I'm playing more of them is it's uh, it's a favorite label of mine in terms of contemporary labels. They do reissues, and they do reissues of stuff from really obscure kind of no-name crate digger type finds to entire labels. There's a series called Eccentric Soul, for example, which each release concentrates on a particular label, and a lot of them are these kind of Motown wannabe labels that different soul entrepreneurs started up in the 1960s. And it's a brilliant series, man, and uh, they have a lot of things like that. Some releases devoted to specialty major label offshoots that concerned um, psychedelic folk music and nearly any kind of pop music you could name. Disco, metal, easy listening, etc. So we'll give you a sense of the eclecticism of the Numero group. And here's what you're going to hear in this set from the Eccentric Soul series, a disc about the Capsule label, independent soul label out of Columbus, Ohio. Boy, there's a lot of cool stuff on that volume. Highly recommended. And you can read all about it on the website for Numero Group. They tell you the whole history. What you're going to hear is the Four Mints with a song called Row My Boat, 1971, and it has that sound, that sweet soul thing of that period. And it sounds like a hit. In fact, it sounds like another hit. I can't remember right now which one I'm thinking of. Delphonics or something, but it doesn't matter because, you know, if, if this had been the hit, you'd say the other one sounded like this. It was a sound that was in the air, and this is a great record. Maybe I'm thinking of the Shy Lights. You know, have you, have you seen her? Well, whatever. You'll see what you think. You're going to hear it in a minute. Then you're going to hear something by the Monzas from North Carolina. They were a group that came together in the 60s uh, at college. Did a bunch of little records that never really got too far. This one, Where is the Love? Has a great mysterious sound. And you know I'm partial, emotionally partial, to these kind of acts. These small-scale acts that never got too far, because I'm one of them, you know. But uh, it's not just that. There's a poignancy to it, there's a beauty to it, you know, to me. But it wouldn't mean anything if the record wasn't killer, and it is. Then we have a record that was originally on a label called Reflections, which was a subsidiary of uh, CBS Records, but eventually um, went totally indie. And there being no real independent record label seen in those days or mechanism to support it, it went under. And this artist, Catherine Howe, who released an album on there called what a Beautiful Place in the magical year of 1971. Saw her album briefly emerge and then the label died and that was it. And it's a real shame. She did have a career after that, kind of like a Sub Rosa career, but nevertheless, she continued. But this record should have been a big hit and it certainly should be better known. You're gonna hear a track called In the Hot Summer. And then just to finish it up to show you a little bit of the further edges of what Numero Group does, a piece of, I don't know, I guess you'd call it Easy Listening by Jack Fascinato. Jack Fascinato you might know from the Space Age Bachelor Pad fed that happened 20 years ago or so, Esquivel and all that stuff. He did a lot of those kind of albums, hi-fi albums with big band stuff with a lot of kooky sound effects. And along with a lot of other people in those days like Gordon Jenkins, they would do all these thematic albums. And he did one called the Palm Springs Suite. And you'll hear a track from that called the Tally Ho, which is a fairly abrupt transition out of Catherine Howe, but this is Buckaroo Holiday. And here is the Numero Group.
What a jolly little number, eh? <laughs> I thought after Catherine Howe that would be an interesting curveball. Anyway, yeah, The Tally Ho by Jack Fascinato. 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 The show's getting close to the end here, and before we go, I want to get in this folkways thing because I don't want you thinking that I'm full of empty promises, you know? I, I, nobody wants to be seen that way, least of all me. Whether it's true or not is another story. But anyway, in this case, no, I'll, I will be making good on my promise to give you a montage of folkways material. Folkways was founded in the late 40s by a guy named Mo Ash, a New York City pinko, and he was... He was mainly out to document uh, folk music, Pete Seeger and Lead Belly and all. And it expanded to include a lot of uh, children's music and strange field recordings and stuff. Various kinds of... It, it just became a very oddball label. And some of those oddball records are really beautiful. There's one, North American Frogs. It's a great album. It's just frogs croaking. Two sides of frogs croaking. Beautiful. And so we're going to try to touch on a few of the things that Folkways did through the years. Uh, as, as time went on, a lot of artists appeared on Folkways who went on to bigger success. Phil Oaks, uh, you know, various folks. Phil Oaks, various folks. Look, I rhyme. Uh, Phil Oaks, various folks. A, B, C, D, E, F. Frank is thinking of me. Hey, Frank. Anyway, mostly I'm going to concentrate on the offbeat stuff that Folkways does. I'm going to have one actual song in this set, and the rest is going to be this other kind of strangeness. So the first thing is from the early 60s, and it's from a series of a documentary history of broadcasting. This is called A Word in Your Ear, and it seems to be concerned with uh, archaic language, or archaic English, figures of speech and words that have fallen by the wayside. And they talk about it and give you examples, so there'll be a touch of that. Then comes the one actual song, The Woman Is Killin' Me, by the blues legend Sonny Terry. Then it's an excerpt from an album called Sounds of the Sea, Underwater Fish Sounds. That's right, Sounds of Fish. Then we have a snippet from an album by a favorite of mine, Gene Shepard, who ran his WOR radio show for many, many years. And he was an enthusiast of the poet Robert W. Service. And he did an album of readings of his work and some introductory descriptions of those. And we're going to hear him reciting a piece called The Skeptic, a short poem. Then we have a wee snippet from an album by an Argentinian composer, Argentine composer, I'm not sure which, Terig Tucci. It's called A Suite for Young People. And I guess it's, you know, one of these uh, introducing kids to classical music kind of projects, which is something I fully endorse, unsurprisingly. And then finally, a bit from an album of Midway sounds, you know, carnival sounds. Folkways is great to do this stuff, man. It really documents some amazing places and atmospheres that would have been lost to history. And this is particularly evocative. It's a uh, laughing man. You know, a lot of times at the fun houses in different uh, amusement parks and carnivals, they would have this kind of animatronic figure. Usually it was a lady, sometimes it was a man, but it's, you know, usually a hefty, fat figure with a grotesque smile on its face with a tape recorder, I guess, inside, just laughing all day. Ha, 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 ha. It was terrifying. I remember them at Coney Island, man. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> 
an authentic example of one of those right here for you. Here's a little medley, a little montage of Folkways releases. Nowadays, if we saw a pile of game birds and wanted them carved, the cook might say, Hey, Mac. Yeah, cut up them birds, will you? For nowadays, one game bird is much like another. Out of season. But to the Elizabethans, game birds were the very meat of life and their carving required a special and ornate vocabulary. You, Sirrah. Anon. Dismember that heron, unbrace that mallard, allay that pheasant, wing that partridge, display that quail, unjoint that bittern, fry that woodcock, lift that swan and rear that goose. As for that curlew... Aye, sir. Unlatch it. My father Christmas passed away when I was barely seven. At 21, a lack of day, I lost my hope 
of heaven. Yet not in either lies the curse, the hell of it's because I don't know which loss hurt the worse, my God or Santa Claus. I'm mistaken, and I don't think I am, because I remember this, from days long ago in Coney Island, New York. The noises that you heard during that Laughing Man sequence, those sounds, were, uh, they'd have these air jets as you left the funhouse. You'd go through all this stuff where you're walking on the crazy staircase that's wobbling under your feet and passing all these distorting mirrors and all that crap that's in a funhouse. And then on the way out, they uh, would hit these air jets that would blow women's skirts up. Really, they really did this. And uh, that's what that was. And people would gather there and hang around. They even had a little rail set up where leches could stand there and get a free show. That's the classic creepy days of the carny. Boy, a lot of alliteration today. I can't help myself, man. It's circus influence, I guess. And it also brings us to the end of this special edition of Buckaroo Holiday, celebrating labels on behalf of the Fake Chapter label. I do implore you to check out the link to the Kickstarter that Gilligan's doing. It's right there on the Patreon page under the description for this very show. And if you can, kick in a couple of bucks and support the project. It'd be great. And look into more Fake Chapter releases. There's some really great music, and I'm going to end with one. I played some at the beginning, but I want to end with one. With my best wishes to Gilligan and to all of you who were listening to this because you contributed to his Kickstarter. And I hope your buckaroo holiday was a pleasant one. And return anytime. Love to have you. Consider joining my Patreon, too, while you're being all generous here. Same goes to all you regular buckaroo holiday folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the commission, Gilligan. And to play us out, it's a track from Green to Think, who are longtime fake chapter stalwarts. Song is called Hold On. Thank you for listening to Buckaroo Holiday and love to y'all.
Smarter than that was a long time. 